We are grateful to be here in fellowship, worship you with our brothers and sisters. We are always blessed. And we hope we never lose sight of the glorious ways you act in our lives. Thank you for everything you've given us. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jacob Milley, and I am not the pastor of Sweetwater Christian Church. So if this is your first time visiting with us, please do not levy judgment against our church based off of my sermon this morning. Um, Our regular pastor, Mike Skinner, he is away preaching in front of a youth group this weekend, and it is a fantastic and wonderful thing for us to get an opportunity each and every time he does to share kind of our approach and the uh, ideals and theological focus of this congregation with others. Uh, So here I am, and usually when I uh, give a sermon, I love to take a passage of Scripture and tear it apart and kind of approach it a little bit from an academic perspective and just really just kind of dig deep into it. Uh, And I'm not going to go there this morning. Instead, I have a section of Scripture that inspired and motivated the message I'm giving today. And I'm going to just read that for you at first, Um, and then we're going to go right into it. It is Big Church Sunday, so hello to all the kiddos, Uh, moms and dads. I am hard to distract. It's okay. Uh, let them do what they have to do. I'm delighted to have them here this morning, and I hope you'll forgive me for anything they may hear from my message. Uh, So here is our passage this morning. If you'd like to read along, we're reading Psalm 142 and Psalm 143. And here it is. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge, refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you deal, will deal bountifully with me. Going straight into 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servants, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me, my heart within me, is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. 
my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. Psalms 142 and 143. So one night, I came home from a long day of work. Okay? I sat down in my chair, poured myself a drink, purely for medicinal purposes, got comfortable. And just as I started getting comfortable, you see, I'd come home late. I'd missed dinner. I had the kids were in bed. I had worked hard. And just as I'm getting comfortable, my wife comes downstairs. And she tells me that Jonah, my oldest, who was five years old, maybe four at the time, young, young, he couldn't sleep because he was afraid. Now, if you're single or you're newly married, and you haven't learned interpretive married speak yet. It's a language all its own, believe me. Um, What she was really saying is, you need to go deal with this, because I'm not going to. I'm done with it. A little little tidbit to help you guys out. So I went upstairs to Jonah's room. He's sitting up in bed. He's clearly anxious. I asked him, what's wrong? Come on, buddy, tell tell me what's going on. And he told me that he was afraid of monsters in the dark, that they were waiting and they were going to come get him. Okay. This is typical, right? Most people go through this. Um, And I know because it's typical, we know the stories. We know what we're supposed to do. I knew what I was supposed to say in that moment. What I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to head over to the closet, open the closet. Nope, no monsters here, buddy. Go over to the bed, peek underneath. Nope, no monsters under the bed either. Check behind the door. Ah, no monsters there. See, there are no monsters. It's okay. This is not what I did. Instead, I went over to the corner of his room to his toy bin, and I pulled out his foam sword, which had been used to slay younger brothers and imaginary dragons alike. And then I reversed it. I walked over to him in his bed, handed it to him handle first, and I said, here you go, son. Get them before they get you. I will see you in the morning. Good luck. I turned out his light, closed the door behind me, went downstairs, and had my drink. So, he never voiced a complaint about monsters in the dark again. He slept with his sword off and on for a few months, but no complaints. Now, for all the things that can be said about that particular parenting technique, good and bad, (laughs) I want to call your attention to something specific. 
I did not deny the monsters. If anything, I confirmed them for him. Let me confirm it for you guys, too. The monsters are real. The monsters are real. I do a lot of camping, which means I sleep alone in the woods in a tent. Okay? And every now and then, even today, even as an adult, uh, I uh, am acutely aware, usually in the middle of the night, that I'm several miles removed from the next person, road, or hint of civilization. And uh, that there's just a very thin layer of nylon and polyester between me and whatever happens to be lurking in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night. Um, Serial killers, mountain lions, packs of coyotes, rabbit dogs. I read Cujo. I know what I'm in for there. It's all wandered through my head. All wandered through my head. Okay? And you know what is not comforting in those moments? You know what's absolutely has no value whatsoever? Rational thought. I can deduce, correctly I might add, that the noises I'm hearing is just the wind creaking through the trees. Okay? But that, that knowledge, even knowing it's the truth, that doesn't slow my heart rate down. That doesn't make the little hairs on the back of my neck say, oh, okay, we're cool. <laughs> it's just the wind in the trees. All right, go right to sleep. Go right to sleep. Nope. Doesn't help. Our world culture we live in today does not equip us to handle irrational fear. It just doesn't. And it doesn't because we got here post-enlightenment by championing logic and science. And that's wonderful. That's worked out to our benefit. We got pretty far on logic and science, didn't we? And thanks to an army of modern philosophers and theologians as well, when we deal with the immaterial, we are encouraged to do so in as detached as possible. As detached as possible. No, no emotion. Cold logic and reason only, please. And there's good cause for that, too. But it's not applicable when we need it the most. Telling yourself the monster is not real is, frankly, ridiculous. When every chemical in your brain and every stray thought in your head is firmly insistent that there's a problem here. Seems like there's an easy solution, though, right? Just don't go camping. Just don't go camping. Once you're older than maybe 12, you're not worried about a monster under the bed anymore. Except those aren't the real monsters. Those aren't the monsters I'm talking about. The real monsters still come for us in the dark, usually when we're alone. Monsters like fear, doubt, self-criticism, low self-esteem, sickness, thoughts of cancer, death. These are our real battles as people. These are the monsters that attack our faith, attack us in our soul, not our body, not at all. 
I have walked through a really bad neighborhood in the middle of the night because I can be an idiot. And I have been afraid for my life in that instant. Every step, fight or flight, is just ready to go. My brain's got its finger on the button. We don't know if it's going to be fight or flight, but the first person I don't recognize that looks at me funny, we're hitting the button, and we're going to find out. But uh, that pales, that kind of fear, that in the moment, fight or flight, instinctual response, that pales in comparison to the fear that I have felt waiting for a phone call. And if you haven't had that experience yet, I promise you, you will. You're going to find yourself waiting for a test result from the doctor. Having to call back the nursing home where a loved one is, having received a message, please call us quickly. Or, you know, for the younger people in the audience, you're going to be waiting to see if you got accepted or rejected from a college or club or a job. Here's an example from me. When Micah, my youngest, was born, he went straight into the NICU. That's Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. He was born very underweight, he was jaundiced, and he was not eating at all. And he was in there for a couple of days, and I can remember, I can remember desperately wanting the phone to ring and being absolutely terrified at what they might say. Because in that moment, there's only one or two, there's only one or two messages you're going to hear. It's 50-50. Either I'm going to hear, things are looking up. Come get him. Or I'm going to hear, Mr. Milwee, I have some bad news. When we wrestle with these monsters, these intangibles, these sometimes irrational fears, our faith in God is our best defense. It's our only comfort. It's also in these moments, though, through cruel twists of fate, where it is hardest to summon our faith. God never seems more far away than when we are facing these things in the dark, in the night, alone. Prayers sound hollow. Memorized verses and catechismic answers just kind of turn to ashes on our tongue. And it's never worse than when the monster we are wrestling with is the king of them all, the one all the others want to turn into. Doubt. Doubt. Is God real? Is Jesus true? Are we deluding ourselves? Well, God is real. Jesus is true. And the only delusion we suffer from is the doubt itself. These are not new concerns. They're as old as humanity and the ones that Paul addresses in his letter to the Ephesians. So if you want to, Feel free to turn me with me to Ephesians chapter 6. 
I'm going to be reading verses 10 through 18. I'll read it out loud, so if you don't want to, you don't have to. This is a passage we've, you've heard preached from this pulpit before, so I'm not going to dive too deep into it. I'm only going to address what is applicable here. And here it is, chapter 6, 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand In the evil of the day, and having done all to stand firm. Lost my place, sorry. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Paul is letting us know our enemies are not people. Our enemies are spiritual. When he talks about authorities and rulers, he's not talking about the FBI or Vladimir Putin or whoever you happen to be afraid of, government or authority-wise in the real world. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about demons. Now look, whether or not you personally believe that there's actual demons in the world, um, whether you think there's a personification in play behind evil here, uh, that's, that has no bearing on this conversation. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are talking about, what does matter here, is that there is still evil in the world. And that evil is spiritual in nature. Christians don't fight against a hurricane. Okay, We help clear up the aftermath, for sure, but we don't declare war on weather. But what we do fight against is we fight against hatred. We fight against indifference. We fight to promote Christ's love. That's our war. But this passage, this is a personal passage. Paul is talking to you, the individual. Put on the armor of God. Note that everything he mentions is protective. It's all armor. There's only one weapon. One tool to be used offensively. And I think that's important. I think we lose that when we read this passage as famous as it is. Truth is not for attacking. Righteousness is not for attacking. Salvation is not meant to be used offensively. Don't hurt someone with the concept of salvation. Don't threaten them. 
The only weapon is the Spirit, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now, that's a capital S on Spirit and a lowercase w on Word, and that's important, okay? It's not your Spirit. It's not a ghost or some platonic uh, concept of immaterial self. It's the Holy Spirit. It's part of the Trinity. It's God. And it's the part specifically that inspires us and brings us into communion with God, connects us to the divine. Word being lowercase means, plainly put, the gospel. If it was capital, it would mean Christ. Thank you to John and his writings. So how in these dark moments and these internal battles... How do we do what Paul says? How is this applicable? How can you use this? How is this of value to you today, here, now? Uh, How do we do what Paul said and put on the armor of God? Well, we have people in the church, okay, who are trained apologists, who teach or have taught apologetics, and they and any number of authors are far smarter than I am and far more studied than I am. And they will tell you that of all the arguments that support or claim to prove the existence of God, one of the worst and the weakest is the argument of experience. I know God is this because I felt something once, or I had a moment. And with complete respect to them, uh, this is where I'm going to stand in front of you today and tell you that they... And multiple hundred years of a theology are 100% wrong when it comes to what I'm talking about today. Oh, they're right when it comes to convincing someone else. I mean, you can't, that's not an argument you want to use if you're talking with an atheist or an agnostic or trying to convince them or lead them to the light or even defend your faith. No, it's it's not the one at all. But... When your debate opponent is yourself, in your own head, it is by far the most powerful argument you can bring into play. Far more so than any carefully measured and worded string of logic. You put on the armor armor of God by remembering what it feels like to be in contact with God. To recognize that God has acted in your life and that you saw that. That you have felt the Spirit, that you've sung songs here in this congregation and been moved. Moved in a way that cannot be duplicated outside of the experience that it is. That is how you put on the armor of God. Now, you may not be able to feel it in that moment, filled with doubt and all alone. But if you reach for that memory, it will be there. And it will save you. Let me help you, let me help you find a way to have that memory, okay? Or have another one so you've got a second, another at your fingertips. Mike, in his excellent and ongoing sermon, series that's addressing neuroscience. He's talked about gratitude. He's talked about 
the effect of prayer and meditation. Um, and I call what I'm about to describe, for me, it's prayer. But uh, you can choose to call it meditation or whatever you wish. It's the hardest prayer to do, in my opinion, and the one that can be the most powerful. You see, most of our prayers, we're asking for something or we're expressing something. Thankfulness, shame, make this right, God. I love you, God. Forgive me for that, God. We are the active speaker. But in this instance, next time you sit down to pray, when it feels right, you want to give it a shot, I encourage you, don't speak. Just listen. See if you can hear what God is saying to you. You'd be surprised how hard it is. Now, I have a hearing loss in both ears. I wear hearing aids. And one of the things that nobody really understands is how hard it is for me to carry on a conversation. And I hide it. I don't want to admit it. Uh, I'm being a little vulnerable here in the moment. I don't want you to know how hard it is because I want you to treat me like you treat everybody else. I want to be able to converse and interact without any extra consideration from you. But there's an aspect of that that just cannot be easily described, and I'm going to try. And I don't mean how hard it is for me to hear. You guys get that, okay? You guys can relate to that. You either hear it or you don't, right? Whoa, didn't hear that. Can you say it again? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I said to carry on a conversation. It takes an enormous amount of mental effort. I have to read your lips. I have to assess your body language. I have to take the little pieces that I can hear that's coming out of your mouth, and I've got to evaluate it from what I know is the context of the conversation, what I know or can infer about you as a person, what I can remember about your specific preferred vocabulary. How does this person talk? What words do they typically use? And I have to process all of that and make a decision about what I think you just said, and I have to do it at the same rate and speed that you are talking so that I'm not lost. It is mentally exhausting. It really is. But that is the kind of active listening that I'm talking about when I say, hear what God is saying to you. You've got to reach out, and you've got to seek what God is saying. But you know what? I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the cheat code. I'm going to give you the answer to the test. I'll tell you what the message is. It's not directions or what he wants you to do. It's not what his plans are for you or how he wants you to serve. God does communicate those things. But that's not what you're going to hear from this. It's not even that he exists. That's his name. I am. He doesn't have to say that again. You either accept that or not. No. It's a simple but powerful thing that doesn't ask anything of you other than you hear it. I love you. It is both the simplest and most complex thing. I love you. And you need to hear it from him. Not from me. No one can really tell you 
the magnitude and the impact of hearing that, feeling that coming from God. You have to receive it from the source, and you have to want to hear it. And it will be the best defense in your pocket for anything this life can throw at you. Knowing that God loves you. Now, that's how I make it through those nights in the woods in my tent. I remind myself that Jesus loves me. Pack of coyotes, serial killers, do what you're going to do. I'm going to bed. I roll over, and I usually sleep like a baby. I really do. We're all going to hit a dark place. Some of us may already be there. These things that I am allegorically calling monsters or something, it's part of a human experience. Maybe you're wrestling with it now. Maybe you've wrestled with them in the past. Maybe they're on the horizon. Put on the armor of God. Wrap yourself in the truth from this book. Wrap yourself in the message of Christ. Don't fall into despair. Because God is waiting to lift you up with a very simple, simple phrase. I love you. And now, for a final little piece, a little bit of practicality. Everyone do me a favor and raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. No, we're not saying the pledge. Look around the room. Every hand you see that's not yours, I'm going to tell you what you're seeing. You're seeing the hand of God. Put your hands down if you'd like. You are seeing the hand of God. What do I mean by that? I mean God is going to reach out and comfort and save you through your brothers and sisters. Whether they're your family, whether they're people you've known through this church for years, or whether it's somebody new who just walked through the door for the first time time. God is going to act in your life through your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let him. Let them. If you're in trouble, if you're struggling, pick your favorite hand. Reach out. Give them a chance. Give God a chance to act. Don't be left alone in the dark. Pray with Dear Lord, it's a hard thing to live in an analytical world and to be a man or a woman of faith, of belief. But we're grateful for your presence in our lives. We're grateful for the ways that you have touched us, for the connections you've made through this church and in this community. We ask for your strength. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for the will to persevere through these dark times because as much as we sometimes have to wrestle with the evil of this world, it is a fantastically wonderful world. There is so much beauty, so much good here. Don't let us lose sight of that, of the majesty of your creation because we are lost in our own battles. We love you, God. Amen.